Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bonjour, my delectable little glacier cherries. Welcome to another episode of Chatting with Chorley, the podcast, where I, Diane Chorley, the Duchess of Canvey, meet a guest from the celebrity worlds, whilst my musical master, my Milky, fiddles around in the background, making us sound like a heavenly choir of angels. To be honest with you, I'm not going to lie, I'm in a foul mood today. I've been mugged off. I signed up for one of those bleeding organic vegetable boxes because I'm trying to do me a bit for the bleeding environment. Oh my God, 16.99 it was. I opened it up. Four carrots, a sweet some purple lump what looks like a sprained ankle. I've no idea what it is. Milk it out to bleed and Google it. Now, I love a root vegetable meat, but don't get me wrong, I ain't bleeding Peter Rabbit. Do you know what I mean? There's only so many crap I can eat in a day. Anyway, today's guest is Tom Glitter. One of the most distinctive voices coming out of the UK today. Whether that's written down, sung out loud or spoken in their gorgeous, sultry northern splendour. This absolute icon, without a doubt, is going to be one of the most important voices in Queer Britannia in the future. And I'm absolutely delighted to have him on the show. To be honest with you, I'm pleased they ain't turning up with the bleeding crystal Rasmussen because me and her do not get on. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, the beautiful, the gorgeous Tom Glitter. Now, I've got to say, Tom, and I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart, your book, Die of a Drag Queen, it's one of the most gorgeous, warmest, quite dis- quite disgusted, <laughs> quite disgusting books what I've ever read in my entire life. Now, can you tell the people what are listening to the podcast at home? Tell us a little bit about the book and just give them a gist. Well, really, it's, the, the you know, the clue is in the title, Die of a Drag Queen, but really it, it's sort of... I mean, you know this, Diane, really. I think drag. Oh, no, actually. Do you know this, Diane? I don't know. I don't know much about drag, no. You've never never even heard of but it. Obviously, I had a few drag queens down the flick in the past. And, of course, I do attract a certain drag queen or two. I've had one or two of them at the stage door once or twice. Do you know what I mean? So I do. <laughs> it's not a world that I'm alien to. No, they buzz about, they buzz about. But really, I think I wanted, I'd been so sort of tired of quite specific representations of drag, which were like fab and quite shiny and quite polished. And really, I thought what we were lacking a bit is a representation of drag as something that can be quite mundane or, as you say, quite disgusting or quite at times sort of akin to like a violent experience or whatever. So I really wanted to like write kind of a warts and all version of an experience which is often assumed to be quite shiny and quite like cabaret mm. or quite like pictures on Instagram or quite like perfect makeup where it's actually like a bit of violence, a bit of family rejection bit of all the things that have happened to a lot of us queens and that happened to me. And so really it's funny. And also another thing I didn't read growing up. I'd never finished a book until I finished Secret Diary of a Call Girl on holiday in Benidorm with the girls. Best holiday of my life. We stayed at Grand Casino Royale. I'm sure you know it, Diane. Oh, I've been there. I've played there. I had a little summer season down there. Steak and chips every night. I didn't even need to ask. Do you know what I mean? They just bought it to me. That's respect. It is respect. It is. And it was, it was a holiday full of respect and you know, I didn't really read books. So I wanted it to be 
sort of easy, snappy, warm, a place where people could come if they were drag queens or had had experiences like mine and feel really like seen and loved. But then also on the flip side, if you love drag, but you didn't know what it was like to be a drag queen, you could come and learn about the fact that it can be like pretty hard and it makes you broke. It makes your toenails fall off. You know, it makes a lot of people in the world not like you and all that stuff, but it's also glorious. So that's in a really poorly articulated nutshell, what the book is about. I think that was quite a bleed and eloquent, if you ask me, to be honest. But was it actually a diary? Did it start off as a diary or was it, was it kind of just written in that format? It, well, I've kept diaries for a long time, but really it was sort of, it was like seven years of my life really collated into one for ease. But everything in there is true. But names are changed and locations are changed and timelines are changed for legal reasons. And when the lawyer first read it, they were like, yeah, you are liable for something like 19 counts of libel and slander, which I loved. I was like, keep it in. But we weren't allowed. Quite glam. Oh, my. You should have kept that. And you should have put that on the cover. I know. But Diane, you've had many, you know. That just sold a few units. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, libelous. You've been involved in a few libel cases as well, haven't you? Oh, and I get them sent to a P.O. box now. <laughs> and I have to pay someone full time to pay it off. It's hard life for that person. But I tell you what, they get a bit of vitamin D occasion. It does them the world of good. Absolutely. But I've said a few things in the past that I regret, but also I stand by them, mm. you know. And if anyone gets too troublesome, I get them taken out proper. Yeah. Like we do in Cambridge. You know what I mean? None of this messing about. I don't go through a lawyer. No. Not me. I do the old school route. Murder. <laughs> Yeah, not, not, yeah, murder, exactly. Not through a P.O. box that time. Absolutely. Any hitman that I know, you've got to contact through, mm. them through a P.O. box. But that's, well, maybe that's a time for another podcast. That's a Netflix special <laughs> on true crime. That is 15 episodes, you learn nothing till the fifth one. And it's the same bit of information they told you in episode one. And that's the kind of vibe I'm going for. I'll sell that series soon, of course. Now, the, <laughs> The the story starts off in, in Paris, doesn't it? It's in New York. Oh, New York. Sorry, I called. <laughs> I have read the book, honestly. It was one of the best books I've ever read. I'm not, I've seen the warmest book you've ever read, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it starts in New York. New York, but of course it, it could is, be yeah. any fashion capital of the world, couldn't it, really? Yeah, I don't know where I, where I got Paris from. Yeah. Amnesia. That's what it is. Amnesia. That's where I got Paris from. Alzheimer's. <laughs> Oh, I hope not Touchwood. Well, that's where you and Crystal last saw each other, isn't it, Paris? Well, we did. And I remember there was a big old queue outside the toilet. I thought, who's that in there? Taking up all the time. Of course, who comes yeah. out? Crystal. Oh, Absolutely. my God. Goodness me. Glay plugging everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> People passing out left, right and centre. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness me. Water flowing out of the cistern. But, of course... I'm plagiarising there because that's actually a story from your book, isn't it? it? Is? One of the most tricky stories ever. Now, I won't expect you to retell it because that was a traumatic time. But there's so much in that book that's so honest and courageous of you to have, you know, spoken about, I guess, in some ways. Now, that particular story, whether it's courageous or just <laughs> absolutely insane that you put that in there, I don't know. That's down for yeah. you to decide. But do you get a lot of people saying to you genuinely, you know, that that book was the first time I'd seen my life being spoken about honestly and represented in the way that kind of spoke to me? Honestly. Yeah, I do actually, in a really nice way. I often get really moving messages or the ones that are really moving is like, it allowed me to have this particularly complicated conversation with my mom or my best friend or whatever, often about gender or sexuality. One of the weird flip sides of that is like, sometimes when you meet someone that you've never met before and they're like, oh, I've read your book. You're like, holy shit, you know so much about me. And I don't even know your name, darling. So it's like quite a funny... You know, but that is the life of a celebrity, isn't it? And Cristal knows that well. 
you know, I don't know it too well, but she's of course she dealt with it really well. Just a few stints in and out of rehab, other than that, she knows it well. Well, she's a very public face of that trauma, isn't she? Mm. To be fair, mm, she is, and she was face of Rimmel for eight years in the nineties, wasn't she? Of course, Rimmel, or was it Boots Number Seven? I can't. It flitted between the two. You got. I know it's easy to get the two confused. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely Number Seven. You know, I mean, I've been the face of Superdrug for some time. Yeah. Now, but do I get the recognition? No, I don't. In some circles, Diane, I get the occasional side look if I'm yeah. in Poundland. But apart from <laughs> that, you know, that's the kind of circles I'm swimming in, babe. Yeah. But there is one harrowing scene in the book, and this is. You know, it's a bit dark, or but you literally physically save some fella's life, don't you? Mm. It's a very violent, traumatic scene in the book, and it's quite mm. quite hard to read. Well, violence against the queer community, particularly, I think now is worse than it ever has been, especially the trans community. Do you think? Do you think it's gotten better as you've as you've grown up, or do you think it's getting worse? And you know, it's it's more dangerous now than it ever has been. I think that's a really tricky, tricky but interesting question in that I think, yeah, there's increased visibility when it comes to being gay, being queer, being everything that we, that fall under this umbrella. And that is really great in many ways. That does lead to like, arguably better access, more rights, more opportunity, more like economic opportunity, which is important. But at the same time, every sort of queer person I talked to who lived at a different time or was my age at a different time to me, had equal, similar experiences of violence, of hardship, of fat, fractured family ties, of fighting for rights, of going on protests. So I actually just think it's different. I don't know if it's possible or useful to say it's better or worse. I think violence is still like a real part of queer people's lives. And I think like a lot of people like to maybe think it isn't, but I think every single, every single queer person that's in my life that I'm close to has experienced an actual form of physical attack. But at the same time, there is a lot of heterosexual people that have experienced physical attack, but I don't know if it's because of the fact they're heterosexual. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I think as well, like as visibility grows, other communities or other groups of people, they feel like they're being pushed back or Mm. they're silenced in some way. Particularly in your gorgeous book, you talk about the person who attacked you and the violence that they did towards you. But the way you talk about it is very understanding in in a weird way you're not angry at them you 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 go to quite a big extent to try and understand why they're doing it and I think you know it's a lot to do about masculinity you know Mm. and toxic masculinity in culture you know and that's something you do touch on the book and I wonder if that these communities they fight back they're fighting back almost worse than they ever have done because they're being shrunk in some way because of Mm. everything becoming more accessible and and you come from a you know working class background as well you know and you understand the idea of masculinity you do talk about that in the book about growing up and that you taking up this place that frightened people in in many ways well it's so funny I often say like if what I survived at high school and what a lot of queer people survive at high school was like god if I lived that existence today I would be like I wouldn't leave the house Mm. I've become like for some reason I don't know why I've become far more like aware and sensitive to it and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing god knows we need to be to keep ourselves safe but like you know but yeah I, I sometimes think about what used to go in our high school and I'm like God, if one of those things that would happen to me five times in a day happened to me today, I'd be like running for the bloody, I don't know, I'd be cowering in my bedroom. So I know what you mean, but I think in terms of trying to understand where violence has come from, I think you have to, in the first instance, be like, someone did wrong, they have agency. But then I think secondarily, what's been at least important for me 
um, is to understand why they perpetuate violence as opposed to think that it's because there's something wrong with me. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. the, the, if someone's attacked me, I can think, oh my God, that person attacked me. Maybe I am something or someone worth attacking. And I've thought that before a lot. And then actually, when you think, actually, they're undergoing, a, they're sort of within a system of oppression, of toxic masculinity, of certain expectations, of all these things, I don't know, of, of massive societal shame, whoever you are, then it kind of allows you to take some heat off yourself as well. So it's sort of a selfless and selfish act, because then I can think that's because something, this person, there's something going on with this person. It's not because of who I am. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, that's message of love and kind of warmth and kindness that does come about across, the, you know, in the book, you're, the book is not in any way attacking. You're just very accepting and you take things on and you really think about them in a very philosophical way. And I really think that's gorgeous. And that's as a society in general, I think that's something we could benefit from. The tone of your book is what I'm saying, you know, oh. all hail. All hail to you is what I'm saying, my gorgeous babe. Thanks, darling. Thank you. But of course, in, in the book, you talk about, you know, your family and, you know, because there are some things in the book that they must have read and been like, I assume they must have read the book, I'm assuming. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when they did read that book, what was their response to it? Because you talk so warmly about your family and the journey they went, or maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Well, in the book, it sort of charts an ever-changing relationship with my mum, because, you know, it's that complicated thing of, I'm from a really small working class town up north and my mum, and it surprises me to this day, but until me had never met a gay person. And so I came out when I was 13, was kind of forced out of the closet at high school because, I mean, it was obvious. And the initial experience of coming out to someone who didn't know what that was like, especially when you're their child, was one that was difficult. And, you know, differences can be quite judged where we're from but also can really be celebrated, actually. I don't really want to push the fact that difference is always judged because I think mm. the thing that I've realised more and more where I'm from, there's like a fearlessness to difference, if that makes sense, as in like people sort of respect it, get on with it and actually don't over-discuss it. And I think sometimes one of the things that I've found in more middle-class circles is we can like over-discuss our differences and push ourselves into certain corners. And actually there's a sort of attitude of where I'm from, which is just like, get on with it. Karen from down the road's a sound lass or like Bobby up the road, you know, he might be gay, but he's actually bloody lovely and he can dance like no one else. And obviously those things, there's certain like phobias or they're not perfect, but there's also a huge warmth there that's worth appreciating and thinking about more. But really with my parents, that was kind of the process. It was like difficult for a while. Then it got easier because we both had these big fights and started to understand each other more. And I understood the fact that really what she was trying to do was protect me. And she understood the fact that like changing who I actually was, wasn't a protective mechanism. It was actually just perpetuating homophobia or whatever. Mm. And now she's like fucking iconic. She comes to every gig and she comments under photos on Instagram being like, love it. You know what I mean? It's just, so, and she read the book and really I thought one of the things she was going to find hardest about it was the way I discuss our relationship, but she didn't even mention it. Mm. You know, she didn't really mention how she was portrayed in the book. She's a very selfless person, but what she mentioned was she found it sad in moments that she hadn't realized there were times in my life where because of certain feelings of shame or whatever, I was sort of engaging in quite harmful behaviours. Mm, mm. And so I think that had made her sad. The way you talk in the book is so honest and it's so real in a way. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's so beautiful, those relationships and the way they've grown with you 
And it, I don't know, it's just a wonderful thing. Mm, well, I think what's interesting about drag in general, if we're like zooming out, is that like, I think people often think that drag is sort of trickery and dishonesty and all this makeup and this facade. But I think drag for me has been a place where I have like accessed at least the most honest parts of myself. Because I don't know, I guess you get like a, a shield made of makeup, but really it allows you to sort of express the deepest desires. You're already doing it by getting in drag and walking out or going on stage. You're already expressing arguably one of the most shameful deep desires to the world, even though it's loved now and adored now. That feeling of being 13 and looking at Lily Savage and being like, fuck, that's me. That was a terrifying, Mm. absolutely just deeply distressing feeling because you're like, I know that if that is really me, life is going to be much harder. And actually turns out once you sort of do that, and you you find a space where you celebrate for all those things you were terrified of, you then realize there's so much power and so much ease in honesty. And it's so much more useful than trying to sort of keep up a facade of normality or keep up a facade of, you know, I think I want to get married and have kids and do all that normal stuff that no one ever asks questions of. And actually it's like, I want to talk about fisting or I want to get naked on stage and, you know, and ride around in a pool of come to make a metaphorical point about shame and sex and celebrations. Do you know what I mean? And it's a really honest place. So, Oh, Milky's been there. Milky's been there with me. <laughs> That's where he was last Thursday. That's how he got his name, Milky. Oh, my God, we're going down the porthole now. This ain't your book now, you know, Tom. This is a respectable <laughs> bleeding show for the... It's a PG-13. Well, Milky definitely is anyway. What do you think of Drag Race, though, as a, as a thing? We've got to talk about it and we can't not. I mean, you know... I think it's fab and I think you can't deny the global effect that RuPaul and her drag race has had on the world and certainly that has trickled down impacted me to the point where I can write a book that probably wouldn't have been published Mm. and I can sell out shows that probably wouldn't have been sold out if it wasn't for RuPaul on the flip side it creates sort of a, a slightly fraught dynamic within the drag community where some people rise to fame for doing less than other people who I see like absolutely grafting and grafting who don't quite fit on a show like RuPaul's Drag Race. They reward certainly very talented people. Absolutely all the queens that are on Drag Race, any Drag Race that I've seen are incredibly talented and, and are deserving of such recognition. It's just a shame when I guess some people are left behind because they don't quite fit on the show. Say if they're a drag king or say if they're like a, not your stereotypical sort of gender transformation into queens Mm. i think we expect too much or not we me you know it's really that we need more stories and we need more shows and we need more representation actually because there isn't actually that much we're like oh my god there's so much representation but it's like is there there's like four things where there's like a gay character and then like one drag show and it's like actually if there was a few more stories out there, I wouldn't expect to watch Drag Race and expect for it to do everything for me. Do you know what I mean? So it's complicated. Yeah. What do you think? Well, from what I've seen, you know, from my little world that that I come from, I've been very much taken in by the the queer, you know, drag community in the UK and I adore them for that. They're gorgeous to me. They always have been, to be honest. But my thing is that, if anything, it's highlighted the difference between something that you would do, for example, which isn't, you know, it is mainstream in a sense, but the things that you do are very different, I think. And there's some people, as you said, that we know, maybe some of the drag queens or the artists out there that we know, they probably wouldn't fit in that world. And if anything, I think it's it's making two very different worlds. Because in drag in, in the UK, I think would like the drag that I've seen is dirty, it's challenging, it's kind of raw and it's aggressive. And I feel like if anything, it's, it's making a weird kind of binary between 
you know, mm-hmm. what is seen as mainstream drag and this kind of weird alternative thing, which I don't sit uncomfortably with me, but I just think that ain't represented in a show like that. And it probably never will mm. be because after all, it's a mainstream thing. You've got to be able to sing, dance, or do a musical where you can put your head behind you. Absolutely. Yes, you can do that. After me, Joe Wicks every morning. I tell you, I can do bleeding anything. I'm like the exes of Emily Rose when I get out of my bed. I tell you that for nothing. <laughs> Everything cracking and snapping. Then before you know it, I'm in a backwards ponytail going down the road. That's the way I roll, down spa. They always say, here comes Diane, bent over backwards in a backwards crawl. Here she comes for her eggy bread in the morning. Well, you've always bent over backwards for people, haven't you, Diane? That's, you know, that's how we'd all... Had all I have that. It's my very much always giving, never taking. That's my story, story of my bleeding life. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. But I'll tell you something, though, and something I thought was beautiful is that this is the other thing about your career. You do all these solo shows across London where it's just you performing your beautiful songs and stuff because you've got beautiful falsetto voice. Oh, my goodness me. It's like throwing a lemon in an oil slick, that voice. Beautiful voice. Now, you've got that little career and then you've also got Thigh High, the beautiful band with the gorgeous Hattie Carmen, who I adore. Your beautiful songwriters, you've got a gorgeous thing going on there. You know, how do you, is your music separate? Music separate, but I guess it all falls under the thing of like writing, doesn't it really? I'm performing. But really, I was saying this to my boyfriend the other day, and it sounds so wanky. Is I can't say it in a not crystal way, but everything I do is like... Go on, do it in crystal. You know, everything I do is a sort of storytelling, you know, mechanism, even though that sounds like the wankiest sort of... Oscar acceptance speech but I guess it's like trying to make those stories that like I was saying earlier that like we need more of so even like with Thigh High that Hattie and I are in and the music you know that's us in our bedroom being like oh what queer characters do we want to see in a song and it's like a sex robot revolution or like the despair when your dildo runs out of battery oh it's PG-13 sorry when you're you know no it's all right we can go there. when you back massage runs out of battery <laughs> we've all been there haven't we? so it's sort of like I've got the writing I've just written a second book and I'm writing the third and then the crystal shows and the singing. I'm just trying to tell some stories, I think, really. What's the second book about? Oh, well, that's a Tom book. That's not a crystal book at all. That's a Tom book. And it's about 
The second book's about marriage and it's asking, really, I thought I'd spent so much time in my 20s really, really trying to justify why I should be allowed to exist the way I am. Now I've thought of all this stuff and I've had all this queer thought and I've had all these queer experiences. It's time to sort of level level my thoughts onto like a, a lauded heterosexual institution. And I'm at this period in my life and my relationship where it's sort of, if I were heterosexual, it would sort of feel like the natural progression to get married. And so I have this weird feeling of like, I grew up in a place where it was the right thing to do to get married. Everyone gets married. All my friends from home are getting married. And then I'm now in a queer world where marriage is quite trash and the equivalent of marriage maybe is polyamory or an open relationship or something. So I've written this book that's asking questions of this institution and it's quite different. It's still honest and thoughtful, I hope, and funny, but it's quite a different swerve in that, I just wanted to question this grey area inside me that emotionally really wants to propose and have a wedding, but intellectually thinks it's all trash. I'm not married to me, to me, Ron. I've, I've always decided that weren't the case. Why is that, do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's asked. Don't get me wrong. Mm. He's always asked. And as I've got older, I thought, why not die and give it a little go? It'd be nice to have a good old day. But firstly, I was in prison. Don't forget that mm. for a few years. That didn't help. And I certainly I wasn't going to do the old, you know, in the TV room with a little mm. bag of cheesy snacks. That's never been me, you know, with mm. a bit of uh, God knows what playing on the radio. Shakespeare's sister, stay with me. No mm. thanks. <laughs> but the truth is that I just, I never felt like it was for me because I'm a businesswoman. You know, I've got a lot of business and bits and bobs going on. Me money's me own. I don't want him fiddling about me fares. Do you know what I mean? That's my Absolutely. that's my personal thing on it. But I know he ain't going nowhere. Do you know what I mean? But some people don't feel like that. But you sound like you Well, no, that- I guess what's interesting is that like, there is no other cultural touch point for what a relationship forever looks like. Like if you imagine forever, you've got to get married, right? So I think the way you and Ron do it actually, Diane, is quite a modern proposition really, because a lot of people would think in order to secure forever, you had to secure a ring and you had to secure legal entanglement. But really my question is why, why, why? No, and no one asks fucking why. And it's been so interesting because I've had so many conversations with so many people about it. And like, sure, I understand why get married or why enter a commitment like that, which is like, I want to celebrate and I want to feel the comfort and security. And I want to know that if I'm gone, he's protected or she's protected or the kids are protected or whatever. Or visa, it's a really good reason, you know, which is why Crystal got married four times, different visas, different countries. She's, you know, a poly heiress, an heiress to multiple fortunes. But really Mm. the question no one can answer is like, why marriage? Not why get married, but why marriage? It's like, why is there no other alternative for me to look at you or for you to look at Ron or for me to look at my partner or for someone to look at their partner and say, this is forever. It always has to be this legal entanglement. Mm. And it just shaves off our imagination, really. That's kind of the conclusion I came to. It's sort of this having this like tunnel vision towards marriage from when you're really young. It means you can't imagine all the other ways you could be in a more joyful way or in a more pleasurable way or Mm. in a more sort of explorative way. So really, that's what it's about. And you'll have to see how it ends, though. Oh, well, I'll look forward to it. I'll, I'll pre-order mine now. Thanks, darling. Yeah, swipe up. But I do think it must be ever so stressful doing all that polyamory and all that malarkey. Do you know what I mean? I mean, having a little one there, having a little one there, you've got to worry about someone's feelings. It's like, did you put it in there? I said, you couldn't. That was Absolutely. the rule. Oh, that would stress me out. You were famously polyamorous back in the 80s, weren't you, Diane? Well, I, had to, I wouldn't say I was polyamorous. I just had a lot of lovers. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was like whack-a-mole back in yeah. the day. I was just doing my bit. I was having a bit of fun. Do one there. Do one there. Put another 20p in the slot. That's just how it worked. A reel of stickers came out. 
a little reel of tickets. You'll like go to the shop, exchange it for a cuddly toy. That's just the way it worked then. Mm. And also, I didn't have no one I was committed to. I couldn't imagine that. Could you imagine me coming home in my limousine at three in the morning, getting there, Ron sat there with his feet in the foot spa. How was it? Yeah, it was the right Ron. He'd, he'd punch a wall oh, out. He would. Do you know what I mean? He would. He couldn't have me do that to him. He wouldn't deal with it. No. But of course, I haven't met Ron then, so I could have the time in my life. But these days, I'm his little cocoon. And that's lovely too. He can't have me going elsewhere. He's got to spray me with the fertiliser. No one else. Do you know what I mean? I grow for him. Now, the book that you're doing, Diary of a Drag Queen, that's actually being turned into a, a little TV show, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, you know, it's all touch and go into it, darling. But as we all know in this industry... Oh, the TV world? No, thanks. Leave me out of it. Oh, you've got a PO box for offers, haven't you, Diane? I've got a building full of PO boxes. I've got everything going in there. Charity donations in the peer box. It's got its own one. That's blue. So, yeah, it's touch and go that. And it's it's a tricky world. It's a tricky world, that one. But you've been yeah, in EastEnders. Right. That's something, isn't it? I have, yeah. It turns out you can do it as much with your life as you want. And the thing that your mother will be proudest of is being on EastEnders for three minutes. It was great. Did you have a little screening party? We actually did, yeah, we did. She had one up there, we had one down here. It was hilarious. Oh, that's gorgeous. Tell us about it. I'd love to hear. Well, I didn't realise it was going to be me singing proud by the, you know, the longtime friend and esteemed colleague, Heather Small of M People. Chris Stars did an album with Heather, actually, and it went it, it went to number six uh, for a week, which was amazing in the 90s. But anyway, it was nice to, for them two to reconnect. Anyway... I didn't realise that... I remember that out. To be honest, it's worth saying that I do remember that album because at the time, Shovel from M People, mm. the bongo and percussion player, mm. he was ever so upset about the arrangement because he didn't get a look no. in. So, and he was quite one of the chief composers, especially in songs like What Have You Done Today to Make You Absolutely. Feel Proud and there are other big hits. Well, it was quite a swerve. Not Midnight of the Oasis. It was quite a swerve for Heather because, you know, it was the album was called Scatology. And it was really just, it was an exploration of scat, both the sort of jazz technique of singing and also mm. fecal matter during sex. So it was, it was a real swerve for Heather. But, you I know, think we're going down the libel route here, if I'm honest with you. OK, well, let's, let's, let's give her a pseudonym for Hazel Small, Hazel Large. And, um, you know, she does, she's, again, there's an injunction against Christophe from Hazel because, yeah, I, I shouldn't be talking about this. But anyway, it was amazing because I didn't realise that on uh, EastEnders, it was going to be me singing that song, co-penned by me, What Have You Done Today To Make You Feel Proud, big on the Olympics, mm -hmm. intercut with someone undergoing quite a violent homophobic attack. So when we watched it, we were all quite like... Oh my god! But anyway, it was what it was. You know, you got off that drum roll at the end, and yeah, and it was it was the final moment, and so it closed out on my face with the dun 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 dun, which is legendary. I mean, that's a dream. Mm. That's a dream. To be honest, for a lot of people, I'm I'm jealous. Mm. If I'm honest. Well, you've done a Hollyoaks, haven't you, Diane? I did do a Hollyoaks down the Duck and Pond, or whatever they call it, the Dog and Pond. <laughs> little bottle of two dogs, just having a little sip there with a bag of pretzels. Mm. So, do you know what? It's been absolutely gorgeous talking to you. Know I adore you. You got to mm. keep doing your beautiful, warm, loving work that you do, and fighting the corner for us lot. I just think you're gorgeous, and I adore you. And I'm sure oh. there's something more eloquent than that, but I couldn't think well, of I it. Think and hopefully, my love for you is evident. It is, and I, my love for you, I hope is too, because it's been such an honour to be on chatting with Charlie with you, Diane. What a legend! What a star! What a queen! Thank you for having me. As are you. And don't forget little Milky in the back there picking at his Absolutely. wicket. Well, Milky and I don't really speak anymore because of the, you know, the stuff. No, I'm not surprised after what happened in the paddling pool. Yeah. All right then, beautiful Tom. You get I'm safe. I'll see you soon, my beautiful babe. All right, lots of love. Bye, angels. Love you. Bye. 
I'm tell you what I'm going to do at the end here, you know. I'm feeling ever so inspired by my little me to my Tom there that I'm going to write them a little song just off the cuff because I'm feeling creative. I feel inspired by their beautiful stories. All their little gorgeous queens out there Looking through their single glazed window One day I might be gorgeous too one day I might sing on a Hollywood show too But if I don't, yeah, if I don't Then I'll be fine Yeah, 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 I'll be fine Don't you know I'll be fine For all those little gorgeous queens out there Working in Asda or somewhere like Boots You're putting through the mascara, the makeup too Some Boots, number seven Sponsored by Crystal Rasmussen But I tell you something, Queen It's gonna get better for you Yeah It's gonna get better for you Yeah It's gonna get better for you Oh, Crystal, you make me feel happy, I said Oh, Crystal, you make me feel warm And your song is like a sunshine Coming on me face or shining on me face Shining on me face So this is for a song for the queens out there Looking in the stars everywhere Picking out frocks and shops and things They want to wear on the stage, yeah You're gonna make it there on the stage, yeah Where you going, Milky, with that note, yeah Here's a little song for the queens out there Go and be strong and stand out there Cause in your heart is a dream that needs to be lived And we want to see it, my beautiful babes This is the song for Tom Glitter You make the world shine and you feel much better When you know there's people like you shining out there Love you, Tom. Now, this has been a beautiful little cob pass for you. Written and created by me, Diane Chorley. The music you can hear, that crusty little finger picking away there in the background. That's the gorgeous Milky. My beautiful little musical mastermind picking away like there's no tomorrow. The show that you're listening to now has been produced by the gorgeous Chris Jones. Chris, Chris, Chris Jones. So good I've got to say his name four times. This has been a Hat Trick production. A Hat Trick Cobpast. A Hat Trick Marvel. A Hat Trick Wonder. Now you go out there and you have a beautiful day, my gorgeous little puffer lumps, my gorgeous little toffee fees, 
my gorgeous little cheddar baked snacks from Milky and I in the studio in Cabby. We're sending you all our bleeding. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.